Section 15 of Italy, France, Spain and Portugal. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Pierre. The World's Story, Volume 5, Italy, France, Spain and Portugal. Edited by Eva March Tappan, section 15. The Rule of Rienzi, 1347-1354, by Edward Bulwer-Lytton. In the 14th century, the great nobles of Rome quarreled so fiercely that each took a stronghold for himself and his followers. There was little of either trade or manufacture, the citizens were abased and rome was humiliated cola di rienzi was put into public office by the pope and showed himself therein both faithful and honest he succeeded in making the roman people realize the depth to which they had sunk and in arousing them to take the state into their own hands Rienzi was put at its head and the title of tribune was given him. For a while no fault could be found with his government. Then his success became too much for him. He put on kingly airs. He taxed the people heavily and unfairly and showed himself a tyrant. In 1354 the Romans revolted and Rienzi was slain. Montreal is a knight of St. John, the determinate opponent of Rienzi in seeking freedom for the people. The Editor One day, as Montreal, with a small troop in attendance, passed on horseback near the walls of Terracina, the gates were suddenly thrown open, and a numerous throng issued forth, preceded by a single figure whose steps they followed bareheaded and with loud blessing a train of monks closed the procession chanting a hymn of which the concluding words were as follows beauteous on the mountains lo the feet of him glad tidings gladly bringing the flowers along his pathway grow and voices heard aloft to angel hearts are singing, and strife and slaughter cease before thy blessed way, young messenger of peace. O'er the mount and through the moor glide thy holy steps secure. Day and night no fear thou knowest, lonely but with god thou goest where the even rage the fiercest through the armed throng thou piercest for thy coat of mail medight in thy spotless robe of white for the sinful sword thy hand bearing bright the silver wind through the camp and through the court through the bandit's gloomy fort on the mission of the dove 
speeds the minister of love by a word the wildest taming and a word to christ reclaiming while as once the waters trod by the footstep of thy god war and wrath and rapine cease hush round thy charmed path o messenger of peace the stranger to whom these honors were paid was a young unbedded man clothed in white wrought with silver he was unarmed and barefooted in his hand he held a tall silver wand Montreal and his party halted in astonishment and wonder and the knight turning his horse towards the crowd confronted the stranger how friend called the provencal is thine a new order of pilgrims or what a special holiness has won thee this homage back back cried some of the bolder of the crowd let not the robber dare arrest the messenger of peace montreal waved his hand disdainful i speak not to you good sirs and the worthy friars in your rear know fully well that i never injured herald or palmer the monks seizing from their hymn advanced hastily to the spot and indeed the devotion of montreal had ever induced him to purchase the goodwill of whatever monastery neighbored his wandering home my son said the eldest of the brethren this is a strange spectacle and a sacred and when thou learnest all thou wilt rather give the messenger a passport of safety from the unthinking courage of thy friends than intercept his path of peace he puzzles still more my simple brain said montreal impatiently let the youth speak for himself i perceive that on this mantle are the arms of rome blended with other quarterings which are a mystery to me for sufficiently versed in heraldic art as befits a noble and a knight signor said the youth gravely know in me the messenger of cola di rienzi tribune of rome charged with letters to many a baron and prince in the way between rome and naples the arms brought up on my mantle are those of the pontiff the city and the tribune Humph, thou must have bold nerves to traverse the campagna with no other weapon than that stick of silver thou art mistaken sir knight replied the youth boldly and judgest of the present by the past no that not a single robber now lurks within the campagna the arms of the tribune have rendered every road around the city as secure as the broad street of the city itself thou tellst me wonders through the forest and in the fortress through the wild solitudes through the most populous town have my comrades borne the silver wand unmolested and unskated wherever we pass along a thousand eyelas and the tears of joy bless the messenger of him who hath expelled the brigand from his hold the tyrant from his castle 
and insured the gains of the merchant and the hut of the peasant. Pardieu, said Montreal, with a stern smile, I ought to be thankful for the preference shown to me. I have not yet received the commands nor felt the vengeance of the tribune. Yet, methinks, my humble castle lies just within the patrimony of St. Peter. Pardon me, Signor Cavalier, said the youth, but do I address the renowned knight of St. John, warrior of the cross, yet leader of banditti? Boy, you are bold. I am Walter de Montreal. I am bound then, Sir Knight, to your castle. Take care how thou reach it before me, or thou standest a fair change of a quick exit. How now, my friends, seeing that the crowd at these words gathered closer round the messenger, think he that I, who have my mate in kings, will find a victim in an armed boy? Fie! Give way, give way, young man, follow me onward. You are safe in my castle as in your mother's arm. So saying, Montreal, with great dignity and deliberate gravity, rode slowly towards his castle, his soldiers wandering at a little distance, and the white-robed messenger following with the crowd, who refused to depart. So great was their enthusiasm that they even ascended to the gates of the dreaded castle, and insisted on waiting without until the return of the youth assured them of his safety. Montreal, who, however lawless elsewhere, strictly preserved the rights of the meanest boor in his immediate neighborhood, and rather affected popularity with the poor, bade the crowd enter the courtyard, ordered the servitors to provide them with wine and refreshment, regaled the good monks in its great hall, and then led the way to a small room, where he received the messenger. This, said the youth, will best explain my mission, as he placed a letter before Montreal. The knight cut the silk with his dagger and read the epistle with great composure. Your tribune, said he, when he had finished it, has learned the laconic style of power very soon. He orders me to render this castle and vacate the papal territory within ten days. He is obliging. I must have breathing time to consider the proposal. Be seated. I pray you, young sir, forgive me, but I should have imagined that your lord had enough upon his hands with his Roman barons to make him a little more indulgent to us foreign visitors. Stephen Colonna is returned to Rome and has taken the oath of allegiance. The Savelli, the Orsini, the Frangipani, have all subscribed at their submission to the Buono Stato. How? cried Montreal in great surprise. Not only have they returned, but they have submitted to the dispersion of all their mercenaries and the dismantling of all their fortifications. The iron of the Orsini Palace now barricades the capital, and the stonework of the Colonna and the Savelli has added new battlements to the gates of the Lateran and St. Lawrence. Wonderful man, said Montreal, with reluctant admiration. By what means was this effected? A stern command and a strong force to back it. At the first sound of the great bell, 
twenty thousand Romans rise in arms. What to such an army are the brigands of an Orsini or a Colonna? Sir Knight, your valor and renown make even Rome admire you, and I, a Roman, bid you beware. Well, I thank thee. Thy news, friend, robs me of breath. So the barons submit then? Yes. On the first day, one of the Colonna, the Lord Adrian, took the oath. Within a week, Stephen, assured of a safe conduct, left Palestrina. The Savelli in his train, and the Orsini followed. Even Martino di Porto is silently succumbed. The tribune, but is that his dignity? Methought he was to be king. He was offered, and he refused the title. His present rank, which arrogates no patrician honors, went far to conciliate the nobles. A wise knave, I beg pardon, a sagacious prince. Well, then, the tribune lords is mightily, I suppose, over the great Roman names. Pardon me, he enforces impartial justice from peasant or patrician but he preserves to the nobles all their just privileges and legal rank ah and vain puppets so they keep the semblance scarce miss the substance i understand but this shows genius the tribune is unwed i think does he look among the colonna for a wife sir knight the tribune is already married within three days after his ascension to power he won and bore home the daughter of the baron di Raselli. Raselli? No great name. He might have done better. But it is said, resumed the youth smiling, that the tribune will shortly be allied to the Colonna through his fair sister, the signora Irene, the baron di Castello woos her. What? Adrian Colonna? Enough. You have convinced me that a man who contents the people and those who conciliates the nobles is born for empire. My answer to this letter I will send myself. For your news, sir messenger, accept this jewel. And the knight took from his finger a gem of some price. Nay, shrink not. It was as freely given to me as it is now to thee. The youth who had been agreeably surprised and impressed by the manner of the renewed tributer and who was not a little astonished himself with the easy and familiarity with which he had been relating to fra Moreale in his own fortress the news of rome bowed low as he accepted the gift the astute provencal who saw the evident impression he had made perceived also that it might be an advantage in delaying the measures he might deem it expedient to adopt. Assure the tribune, said he, on dismissing the messenger, shouldst thou return ere my letter arrive, that I admire his genius, hail his power, and will not fail to consider as favorably as may of his demand. Better, said the messenger warmly. He was of good blood and gentle bearing. Better ten tyrants for our enemy than one Montreal. An enemy? Believe me, sir, 
I seek no enmity with princes who know how to govern or a people that has the wisdom at once to rule and to obey. The whole of that day, however, Montreal remained thoughtful and uneasy. He dispatched trusty messengers to the governor of Aquila, who was then in correspondence with Louis of Hungary, to Naples and to Rome, the last charged with a letter to the tribune, which, without absolutely compromising himself, affected submission and demanded only a longer leisure for the preparation of departure. But, at the same time, fresh fortifications were added to the castle, ample provisions were laid in, and, night and day, spies and scouts were stationed along the pass and in the town of Cerracina. Montreal was precisely the chief who prepared the most for the war when most he pretended peace. End of section 15. This recording is in the public domain.